Well, good morning, church. It's great to be together again to uh, share in worship and a time of study in God's Word. Um, before I begin, on a personal note, I just want to uh, let you know that I'm praying for you, and I, I really hope that um, in the midst of all that we miss about life before the pandemic, um, and there's a lot we miss, and we can't wait to get back to those things, and we miss being outside, and we miss the things that are so enjoyable about life, and we all we all need haircuts. I know I do. <laughs> uh, despite all that, I really hope that in the midst of all of this, that God has been um, uh, very near to you, that you've sensed just his presence and his comfort, and that there have been some sweet times with your your family, if you're if you're with your family during this time, um, and just that your times in the Word have been sweet and your times in prayer have been meaningful. And I really believe that those are the things that ultimately are going to sustain us through this and any other hardship in life. And so um, I know we miss being together. I look forward to the chance to meet you all <laughs> in person, um, but um, I'm praying for you. And I'm really hoping that despite that not just making it through, that God is doing some things in you that are causing you to grow in him uh, during this pandemic. So this morning, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. Uh, so you want to turn there in your Bibles, Philippians 1, verses 12 through 30. Pretty big chunk of scripture. We're going to read it and then pray and then we'll get into it. But in case you're joining us for the first time, we're really glad that you're with us. Welcome. And uh, so what we're doing right now, for those of you who are just joining in, is we're doing a study through the book of Philippians, which is a, a book in the New Testament of the Bible. And we're kind of going piece by piece through this book. And we're looking at the ways in which Philippians causes us to do two things, celebrate and grow. That's really what Paul's doing. He's He's inviting us to celebrate what God is doing, celebrate Christ, celebrate who he is and what he's done, celebrate the way that God's grace transforms us, but then also really set our minds to growth, to pursue growth in Christ and to pursue godliness and holiness and uh, just a more faithful walk with Christ. And so that's the, the series that we're in, Celebration and Growth. And today we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 30. So uh, follow along with me as I read and then I'll pray and then we'll begin our message. So uh, starting in verse 12, let me get there. Paul writes this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. For some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to affl afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced by this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponent. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction and of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, it is living and active. And Lord, we invite your spirit to apply your word to our hearts and to our minds so that we would not only understand, but also just really be passionate about the truth of your word. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to be doers and not only hearers, that we would receive your word and that by your spirit, it would, it would produce faithfulness and obedience and joyful productivity for Christ and for his kingdom. So Father, I need your grace to preach clearly and to really preach your word faithfully. And God, we all need grace to receive it in a way that uh, in a way that is honoring to Christ so that our lives would be worthy of the gospel. So, Father, we ask that you would do this now for your own glory in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's a story of Hudson Taylor that I want to share. Hudson Taylor is a famous missionary who um, went, uh, committed his life to take the gospel to Africa. And he went from uh, the United Kingdom down to Africa in the 19th century, and he was committed to seeing the gospel go where it has never gone before. And so he's on a ship, and he travels down uh, the coast of Africa, and the ship that he's on is sort of uh, anchored just offshore. And he's looking one morning, he's standing on the deck of this ship, and he's seeing uh, the fires from villages in the morning sunlight just rise up and his heart is burdened just to just to see the gospel go where it had not gone. And he's on the deck of the ship just fully committed to what he is about to do, going ashore and proclaiming Christ in love to people. And he writes in his journal some words that have always uh, stuck with me. He writes in his journal there on the deck of the ship looking out over the fires in the morning light on the coast of Africa. He writes in his journal, I will go anywhere provided it be forward. He says, I will go anywhere provided it be forward. And our passage today 
really deals with how the gospel goes forward, how the gospel advances. The title of the sermon this morning is actually the advance of the gospel. And we we see this so clearly in verse 12 of our passage. If you look at verse 12, it says, Paul says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. One thing that's worthy of celebration in our lives, really no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's going on in the markets, no matter what's going on in politics, one thing we can always celebrate is the fact that God is advancing the gospel. Jesus is building his church and that the good news is going out all over the world this morning. The good news that God will save anyone who through faith is willing to turn from their sins and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus, our substitute. And that by grace alone, through faith alone, God will save anyone who trusts in Jesus. That is always worthy of celebrating. The gospel is advancing. That's kind of the big idea of this passage that Paul says really at the the beginning. He says, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that's the big idea. And I want to unfold that by asking three questions. And then after answering those three questions from the text, I want to take those questions and sort of apply them to our own lives. So we'll, we'll ask questions, we'll answer them, and then we'll apply these three questions. So the three questions, in case you're taking notes. Number one, where does the gospel advance? Number two, how does the gospel advance? And number three, why does the gospel advance? Where does the gospel advance? How does the gospel advance? And why does the gospel advance? So those are the questions. Let's start with the first one. Where does the gospel advance? Paul just says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. But then notice what he says in verses 13 and 14. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul is in prison and his imprisonment has allowed him to share the gospel with people who otherwise would never have heard. They're called in, in this translation, in the ESV, the Imperial Guard. Maybe your translation says the Praetorian Guard. These were sort of elite guards in the Roman army. I mean, these are people that you wouldn't expect to hear the gospel. These aren't people that Paul would normally have interaction with. Um, but because Paul is out preaching the gospel through his opposition, through his imprisonment, God is taking the gospel to places it had never gone, to people that otherwise would never have heard. And this has really kind of been the story of Paul's relationship with the city of Philippi and people in Philippi, really since he was first there. If you read in Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison, and it says that at midnight... They were singing hymns to God. They were worshiping God in prison. And there's an earthquake and their, their shackles are undone and the doors are opened. And the jailer thinks that the prisoners are all going to run away and he's going to have to pay for this with his life. So he pulls out his sword to, to kill himself. And, and Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're here. And the jailer is just amazed that they would stay, that they were concerned about him. And he says, 
Uh, and surely this jailer would have heard them preach. He would have heard them sing. Um, God's already been working on his heart. And the jailer says to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the jailer it believes and is baptized and his household also comes to faith and is baptized. And so God, through Paul and Silas, then and now, God is taking the gospel. He's advancing the gospel to people that otherwise would have never heard in places that you would not expect them to be able to go. So here's what I want you to understand. The gospel advances everywhere to people that you think would never be converted. And maybe you've got a background where you think, I was one of those people. I, there's no human explanation as to why I am a believer. But through supernatural circumstances, God made sure that I heard the gospel and the gospel advanced in my life. And this is really just an amazing thing to celebrate, that the gospel advances everywhere. There are, there's nothing that can hinder the gospel from advancing wherever God wants it to go. There have been countries that have closed their borders to the gospel. I think about stories that came out of the Soviet Union in the 70s and 80s where the gospel was technically not allowed to go, but God made sure that people were saved and were able to go and tell others about Christ. And the gospel just advances. It advances to places and to people uh, that really you never thought would hear and you never thought would believe. So that's where the gospel advances. Now, how does the gospel advance? Well, Paul says it has become known. It has become known. And, and, and we, we, we see from Paul's uh, stories, the stories about Paul in Acts, that there's a lot of different ways that the gospel advances. And that's true today. But the primary way that the gospel advances is in verse 18. Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed. And so this is really the primary way that the gospel advances. People are saved when they believe and people believe when they hear the good news of the gospel. This is what Paul says in Romans. And this is really what Paul is saying here in Philippians. He's saying that the gospel advances primarily when Christ is proclaimed, telling people about Jesus. That's how the gospel advances. And we see this also in verse 14. If you look at verse 14, if you look in verse 14, Paul says, um, and most of the brothers having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul is enduring hardships. He's in prison. He's separated from people he loves, and yet he's rejoicing because the gospel is advancing both through his own, his, his own proclamation of Christ and also because other people are just emboldened to tell people about Jesus. So the way the gospel advances then, as it does now, is primarily through people like you, people like me, just regular Christians telling other people about Jesus, telling people um, wherever they're able to go and under whatever circumstances that Jesus Christ saves sinners, that he is the substitute for our sin. But our passage highlights another way that the gospel advances. The gospel advances through hardship. 
The gospel advances through suffering. The gospel advances in times of loss. The gospel advances through times of pain. And I think that as I read this passage, I was particularly struck with uh, just the application of, of this truth to our own lives during these unique times. And all of these were true of Paul. Paul was living away from people he loved. He was in prison. But notice again what he says in verse 12. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. So the gospel advances to people everywhere. People that you never think would hear. People that you never think would believe. And it advances through proclamation. But it also advances through proclamation, particularly in times of loss, hardship, pain, and suffering. I mean, those are loaded words when Paul says, what has happened to me? I mean, what has happened to Paul? I mean, he has endured so much hardship. And he just sort of summarizes it. What has happened to me was served to advance the gospel. Now, you can call this a kingdom mindset. Paul has a kingdom mindset. He is enduring pain, hardship, suffering, loss, but he's able to rejoice because he knows that through his hardship, the gospel is advancing. He mentions his imprisonment in verse 13. And notice he says in verse 13, notice this. This is very interesting. Paul says in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He says his imprisonment is for Christ. Now, Paul understood that the Romans were imprisoning him, but really Christ had Paul where he wanted Paul. Paul seems to understand that his life in prison was an opportunity to advance the gospel that had been sovereignly provided by Christ. It's not just that he's in prison because he's preaching Christ. I think Paul really understands that that where that Christ has him where he has him uh, on on purpose. That there's a an intention to God's unfolding plan for Paul's life. Now, Paul is Paul is facing death. Notice what he says in verse 20. He says, "It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but." but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul's not only in prison, he's also facing death. And so the gospel advances to people everywhere and people believe that we would never expect it through the proclamation of the gospel. But oftentimes when Christ has us in places at times of life where there's loss, pain, suffering involved. And that's not, that's not a deviation from God's plan. That's actually God's plan. Paul is confident that Christ has him where he has him. So he's able to say these famous words in verse uh, 20, uh, 21. Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live for Paul would be more hardship, more pain, more suffering but also more opportunities for Christ to advance the gospel through his hardship, through his pain. Now, Paul was talking about Jesus. I mean, when Paul's in prison, he's talking about Jesus and people are paying attention to Paul and they're watching his example. And verse 14, we've already read, 
talks about how other people, other Christians are paying attention to Paul and Paul's example is encouraging them to be more bold, to speak the word, verse 14, without fear. Now, it seems to me that people were amazed that Paul was so bold during his suffering. Paul was bold during his suffering. Now, here's what's interesting to me. I think when, when Christians are winning and when Christians are celebrating and when Christians, when life is going good and when Christians thank God and praise God, that's kind of to be expected. I don't, I don't know how impactful that is to the culture at large. I mean, if you thank God when you win a Super Bowl or win a Grammy or get a raise, I mean, I think that's good. I think you should thank God. But I don't know that people kind of go, wow, how can he do that? I think that people kind of expect people to thank God when things go well. That seems fairly natural. But it strikes me as being totally supernatural that someone like Paul would sing and rejoice and proclaim Christ and trust Christ and live for Christ and be bold about Christ when they're enduring not victory, but defeat. Not, not, not wins, but losses. When Paul is suffering, when he's in pain and proclaiming Jesus, I think that kind of boldness, because it is so counterintuitive, really gets people's attention. So the gospel spreads during times of suffering through the proclamation of Christ. And Paul talks about this in verses 29 and 30. You can look at those verses. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now, this is a verse worth contemplating. Verse 29, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So we see that the gospel advances to people that we would never expect to believe in places we would never expect it to go. And it advances through proclamation of the gospel, but particularly in times of hardship. And then Paul says to people, it has been granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer. And this is one of those Bible verses, you know, we don't, we don't put on coffee cups. We don't, we don't hang on plaques in our, our kitchen. For you, it has been granted for the sake of Christ, not only to believe, but also to suffer. This isn't one of those promises we're, cl- we're quick to claim or quick to proclaim, but it is a promise. It has been granted to us as followers of Christ, not only to believe, but also to suffer. See, during times of suffering, Christ, or Paul experienced supernatural joy. He talks about this joy. If you look at verse 3 or verse 28 and verse 25, Paul's talking about the joy that he has in proclaiming Christ in the midst of his suffering. And what we're going to see throughout the book of Philippians is that this theme of joy in hardships is really common in the book of Philippians and it's and it's really profound in the life of Paul. Not only does the, the gospel advance in times of hardships, but also in times of hardships, we experience more fellowship, more joy, more union with Christ because he's more precious to us. And as we experience the joy of Christ 
as we trust Christ in our hardships, it makes our proclamation of the gospel that much more impactful in the places God puts us and to the people whom God has enabled us to share the gospel. So the gospel advances to people we would have never expect through the proclamation of Christ, often in times of hardships. So we've seen where the gospel advances and how the gospel advances. And now let's look at this last question. Why? Why does the gospel advance? And the answer is really in several places. Just kind of follow along with me. In verse 29, Paul says, For the sake of Christ we endure suffering and the gospel advances. And in his prison, imprisonment, Paul says that, that, that his imprisonment is for Christ, as we've seen in verse 13. And in verse 18, he says, Christ is proclaimed. And in verse 21, he says, to live is Christ. And then in verse 19, he draws our attention to the spirit of Christ. Do you see that? The spirit of Christ. So this is this amazing reference to the Trinity and that Christ is with us through his spirit. He's never abandoned us. He never will. He's always with us and in us through the deposit of his spirit, living within all of those who believe. And so I think that the point is that the gospel advances to people we would never expect in places we would never dream it going in times of suffering as Christ is proclaimed because people see their need for Christ. Christ is glorified in times of suffering, in times of hardship, when people see believers trust in Christ in times of hardship, they're confronted with their need for Christ. And Christ is glorified when people come to know that they need him. That's just one of the great things about hearing testimonies from each other. I don't know about you, but I love hearing the testimony of other Christians and really just coming to understand what was that point at which you came to realize that you needed Christ. There's two questions I love to ask. What is that point where you came to realize that you needed Christ and what's changed since you came to faith in Christ? I love hearing people give testimony to that moment where they realize I need Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can save me. And and this is really something that's glorifying to Christ. John the Baptist says in John 3.30, I must decrease and he must increase. And so in times of suffering, as we're realizing that we're weak, we rely more on Christ. We trust Christ more. We can't trust our own strength because it's gone. We can't trust our riches in times of poverty because they're gone. You know, when we've experienced a loss, we can't trust in our own pride, our own abilities, because we've lost. And so in those moments, Christ is so precious to us. And as people are watching us, I think that the display of our trust in Christ in those moments is so profound and so impactful. And I think that's really what Paul is getting at. Paul's willing to endure anything if it means that the, the gospel advances, even in his suffering. That is a kingdom perspective. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul says, I am content in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, 
G.K. Chesterton, the famous British journalist, says that a paradox is the truth standing on its head, begging for attention. And the Bible is filled with paradox. The last shall be first. Humble yourself and you'll be exalted. And here Paul says, just one of the great paradoxes of Scripture, highlighting the truth of our need for Christ. He says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And listen, let me just speak to you personally. You might be at home feeling weak. But when we're weak and when we realize more than ever our need for Christ, that is true strength. True strength is knowing that Christ is everything you need. And so Paul says, if I've got to endure suffering so that the gospel can be proclaimed and through my example and through my words, people will realize that Christ is more precious than life itself. Paul says, I'm willing to go through anything so that Christ would be proclaimed. Well, so we've answered those questions. Where does the gospel spread? Where does the gospel advance? How does the gospel advance? And why does the gospel advance? The gospel advances for the sake of Christ, so that Christ would be exalted and Christ would be glorified and we would be joyful in his exaltation. So let's ask, let's make a few points of application based upon those three questions. So if it's true that the gospel advances to people we would never expect, if that's true, I think it is, then don't write anyone off. Listen, that person in your life, wayward child, parent that's never believed, spouse that's resistant, co-worker that just doesn't want to hear about it. Listen, when you read this passage about the advance of the gospel, you, you have to walk away just with a tremendous amount of confidence that God can save anyone at any time. Our God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. And he can overcome any obstacle. So the gospel can advance anywhere. If it can advance, if the gospel can make its way to the imperial guard through a prisoner, then it can make its way to a hospital staff through a patient, or to an executive through an employee, or to an apartment complex through a resident. Listen, God has you where he has you to reach people that only you are in a position to reach. And when life involves suffering, that's not a detour from the advance of the gospel. That's actually how the gospel usually advances. When you are suffering, people are paying close attention to what you are hoping in, what you are trusting in. They're paying attention to your joy. They're paying attention because in most people, their joy, their confidence, their trust is gone. And when a Christian is able to rejoice in Christ in those times, don't write off anybody. God can save anyone at any time. Second, if the gospel advances through the proclamation of the gospel, especially in our hardships and our suffering, then your suffering has a purpose. Your trials have a purpose. Your pain has a purpose. It's natural to praise God when you're winning. It's supernatural to praise Him when you're losing. Your words and your example will be more impactful during your times of hardship, loss, suffering, trial, and pain than at any other time in life. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't pray for God to deliver us. It doesn't mean that we don't turn to the uh, natural grace means that God has for us, doctors. And it doesn't mean that we run headlong into suffering. 
It just means that when we find ourselves in suffering, we don't feel abandoned by God. We know that God is with us in our suffering and he's actually using us maybe more than ever to allow the light of Christ to shine through us. And this is so encouraging because, because our suffering has purpose. Because when we suffer, when we're, when we're losing, whatever kind of trial you're going through, when you're in a trial, God is using that trial for an eternal good. It's not a wasted time in life. It's not just a time in life you just have to get through. It's a time in life where God is actually using you in a very precious way to draw people's attention to the glory of Christ. So third, the gospel spreads for God's glory as more and more people hear about Jesus. And if the reason the gospel advances is for Christ to be exalted, then, then really it's not about our church, it's not about us. Ultimately, it's about Christ being proclaimed. It's about people realizing that Christ is, is everything. If we live for Christ, great. If we die knowing Christ, then we gain because we enter into his immediate presence forever. And so more and more of our life should center on Christ so that we can experience the joy of knowing Christ and the joy of being servants in Christ's kingdom and being used by God to advance his kingdom. So, listen, as we celebrate in our lives all the ways that God is advancing the gospel, we also pray that God would grow us And as Paul says in verse 14, I want us to especially pray as a church that we would be more bold to speak the word without fear. I would invite you to join me in praying for that, not just this morning, but this week for ourselves, for our family, that because of the truth of the advance of the gospel, that we would be more bold to speak the word without fear. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would give us supernatural boldness to give a witness, a testimony, a word about your presence, about the gospel, about Jesus. I pray, Lord, that the fact that the God of the universe came in the flesh and bore our sins as our substitute would be such good news to us that when we find ourselves in trial, loss, hardship, and suffering, that we would understand that those moments are so important for us, not only for our joy, but also for the advance of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be more bold to speak the word without fear to our neighbors, to our loved ones, to our friends, to our co-workers at appropriate times and places. God, that you would be glorified and that we would get the joy, just as Paul received joy, that we would get the joy of seeing people come to Christ that we never thought would believe in places where we never thought the gospel would go. And even this morning, God, we pray for brothers and sisters in countries that are shut down, legally locked down to the spread of the gospel. Lord, would you fan the flame of the gospel in the underground churches, in the, in the huddled groups of believers with small scraps of scripture just clinging to the truth. We are so blessed, God. But Father, would you be so present with them And so encourage them and protect them, God, and cause the gospel to spread in those places. Father, and do this for your glory, that Christ would would increase and we would decrease. We ask these things in Jesus' name.
آمن.